promise of this threatening AI that's going to destroy humanity and so forth, I see that being a long, long way away. So I'm not one to say never, but if I look at the brain in particular, physicists today or people in biology or behavioral scientists can't even agree on a definition of consciousness. Right. Or, you know, <laughs> it, 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 there's, there's like 250 definitions, which is the same thing. There, there is yes. no definition. Even if you look at silly things like how smell works. Hi, this is Joe Polizzi with the Content Marketing Institute, and you're listening to my friend Ash Roy on the Productive Insights Podcast. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to www.productiveinsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. I'm Ash Roy, the founder of ProductiveInsights.com. This episode is brought to you by the Productive Insights podcast editing service, which takes away all the pain of podcast editing. All you need to do is upload your file into a Dropbox folder or a Google Drive folder, and we'll take care of the publishing onto your WordPress site and onto iTunes. If you want to find out more, just book a call with me on callashroy.com and we can talk about how to get started today. Today's guest has more than 20 years of experience in starting and running high-growth companies, especially in the areas of predictive analysis and optimization. He's currently the CEO of Complexica, a provider of artificial intelligence software for optimizing sales and marketing activities. He's also the author of several books, including Life in Half a Second, which I've been looking over recently, Winning Credibility, Puzzle-Based Learning, and Adaptive Business Intelligence. He's established an A-list board of directors for his company, New Tech Solutions, which included the former president of Poland and Nobel Prize winner Lech Walesa, world-renowned fraud expert and subject of Steven Spielberg's blockbuster, Cash Me If You Can, Frank Abagnale, and former national security advisor to the president of the United States. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Matthew Markowitz from Complexica.com. How are you, Matthew? Very good, Ash. Thanks for having me. You're most welcome. So that's quite a list of accomplishments you have there, Matthew. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you. Okay, so let's talk about artificial intelligence, which is what we're here to talk about. Now, we have seen in the media that artificial intelligence has gone from strength to strength, and we're hearing artificial intelligence this, AI that, and your software company, Complexica, uses AI to do predictive analysis and optimization around sales. So you really are at the coalface. You really have a hands-on understanding of what is going on in the AI world. So can you give us a bit of background on what AI really is doing and whether all this hype around AI is justified or whether AI actually is some ways away in terms of commercialization and widespread adoption? Sure. So look, I've, I've been in the area of AI for God all my life, really. My father's an AI scientist. So since I was six years old, I'd go to the university after school, wait for him to finish, uh, listen to lectures on neural networks and machine learning and the Turing test and so on. So I've really grown up in that area when it was a very obscure, not well-known, definitely not well-understood area. And it's been interesting to see it emerge since that time. So I've been um, 
in it all my life and in it from a business perspective since uh, 99, so w- almost 20 years in uh, using AI to build enterprise software. So I've really mm-hmm. seen it rise from obscurity into a mainstream subject where there are uh, movies made on it. It's uh, in the news all the time. It, it creates uh, a lot of uh, fear, for lack of a better word, in a lot of different areas. Now, my personal interpretation is technology has certainly come a long way, with, w- without a doubt. If you look at what it's capable of doing today versus what it was capable of doing 10 or 15 or, or even you know, 30 years ago, it's chalk and cheese. However, the real promise of AI is the promise of trying to really replicate the brain and the replication of the brain in all of its forms in terms of uh, potentially like Ray Kurzweil says, creating consciousness. If you create, recreate the brain at the sufficient level of complexity, consciousness will somehow emerge from that. Mm-hmm. There's AI being applied to very specific problems and machine learning techniques today, a lot with great success, which we can talk about in a second. But the promise of this threatening AI that's going to destroy humanity and so forth, I see that being a long, long way away. So I'm not one to say never, but if I look at the brain in particular, physicists today or people in biology or behavioral scientists can't even agree on a definition of consciousness. There's there's like 250 definitions, which is the same thing. There there is no definition. Even if you look at silly things like how smell works, it's still um, this contrary views of just how smell works and how we interpret smell, etc. So I think we have such a poor understanding of how the brain works. Stephen Mm -hmm. Hawking says that AI is the greatest threat to humanity, but he also said that the human brain is the most complex thing ever created in the universe. Mm -hmm. So you're dealing with the most complex thing ever created that is very poorly understood today with tons of conflicting theories. Mm -hmm. And yet somehow in the media, they're talking about kind of, you know, cracking the code and replicating is just a matter of time and dotting the I's and crossing the T's. I think those two things don't marry up. And I see it being a long way away when we really understand the brain. That's decades from now, I think. Right. And that might then put us in a position where we can try to replicate it and then what it does. To me, We don't even know when consciousness begins. Does it begin at birth? Does it begin before birth? So if AI is going to become an existential threat, then we first need to figure out what consciousness is to be able to theoretically have AI replicate that. Yeah, like I saw a debate very recently between a leading theoretical physicist and uh, and a leading scholar on Buddhism, spirituality, that also had a background in theoretical physics, mathematics, behavioral Mm -hmm. sciences. And it's a fascinating debate. For two hours, they talk about consciousness and what is it and is the mind something separate from the brain and elementary particles, etc. There's no agreement in this area. And yet somehow from these, you know, and I'm talking about top people in the world globally. And yet somehow from those kind of debates, you know, you go and pick up another article, it's imminent. It's right around the corner. It's going to happen and so forth. So, the, and, and I think the reason for that is that no one is going to pick up a story that says, hey, AI is 20 years away. No one's going to read that, right? But uh, everyone's going to pick up the story that says AI to replace 50% of jobs in a few years, AI um, to destroy the world, AI, biggest threat to humanity. Those stories sell in an environment where you look at newspaper circulations are down, newspapers and media outlets are trying to push content through online channels and they get a financial uh, result by the more amount of views and clicks that people go to it. So, of course, stories that are um, sensationalistic or have this element of uh, wow and intrigue Mm -hmm. are going to pull in more readers than the boring stories. It's 20 years away. We don't know how it works. You know, we're trying to figure it out. So unbelievably, 
the media can be accused of creating fake news. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not sure it's fake news. They'll take, uh, I'm just kidding. They'll, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll take a statistic like yeah. how many jobs you can automate, which some you know uh, yeah. very credible organization has done, and then they'll take that statistics and pair it up with uh, in a quote from Elon Musk or from yes. Stephen Hawkins that says AI is the biggest threat to humanity, etc. Mm. And then bang, you have a great story around that. They take things out of context. Yeah, and and those are the stories that 99% of people are reading on AI. They're not experts. They haven't been in the field all their lives. They're just, you know, what it would doctors, lawyers, uh, engineers, etc. They're, they're not domain experts. And when mm-hmm. you read all of that, you begin to form the view and impression. Geez, you know, it's a, a worrying times we're living in. Mm. Now, Elon Musk very famously did say that he fears machines are going to take over. Was that part of a broader conversation that was pulled out of context? Do you know or? No, I, I don't know. And, and and to be honest, maybe machines will take over in the future. I'm not saying that that is impossible or it's never going to happen, except I'm just saying it's it's not. Yeah, I don't believe it's in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's just not right around the corner. So you never. One thing that life and business has taught me is it's very difficult to predict with accuracy what's going to happen in the future. So I'm not I'm not in the camp that says this is impossible. This is not, not going to happen, etc. I believe all things are possible. But when I sit in this industry and see what is possible today and how it works and how it's being done. My personal view is we're a long, long, long way away from it being a threat or even taking those kind of statements seriously. Okay. From a programming point of view, it's quite deterministic and predictable in terms of input and outputs and, uh, and, and what it delivers. So what about things like IBM's Watson? How much progress have they really made? So, so look, I think they've made a lot of progress, but uh, again, here's some not misleading information, but information that's taken out of context. So the most famous example of Watson that the average person would be familiar with is the clip of Watson winning the Jeopardy challenge against the two world champions. So mm-hmm. you can look it up on uh, on YouTube. It's incredibly impressive. It's done in natural language. You have the host of Jeopardy. He asks questions. There are three contestants, two human experts that are world champions and a computer. Mm-hmm. And the computer's interpreting the question and answering back. And at the end of the show, the computer wins. So you look at a clip like that, and I think it's a three-minute clip. It shows the ending of it and so on. And you think, Jesus, this is absolutely amazing. AI is here. It's going gonna, it's gonna to rule the world. We've got machines beating you know, world champions in jeopardy. However, um, behind that story, and I, I don't have the statistics at my fingertips, but from memory, it was something like a three-year effort for IBM with with hundreds of people to get it ready for that one particular test. So it was, uh, I don't know how many algorithms they used, more than a thousand algorithms. They ingested every transcript of every Jeopardy show. Um, it, it was an, an incredible amount of tuning for one spectacular moment yeah. that you see. You see kind of, it's, it's kind of like an Olympic champion. You don't see 10 years of swimming in the pool for eight hours a day, you see the you know the hundred meter um, sprint or whatever, whatever the case may be. You just you're only seeing one percent of one percent. Hmm. So when you're really familiar with what that looks like and how it's configured and and uh, and how bespoke many of the algorithms have to be, um, it, it it becomes less impressive. Not that the end result isn't impressive; it is hmm. impressive. But if you look at how much work and how much dollars it takes to get that kind of result, it kind of sheds new light on what really is being done. Okay. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about Complexica and 
how you guys are helping businesses with AI and what specifically you're doing. Maybe you can share use case where, you know, the, the, what the problem was you set out to solve, what your software did and what result it delivered. Yes. So um, on our website, complexica.com, there's videos, there's case studies, there's uh, information around customers and so on, which I won't regurgitate. I'd, I'd, I'll spend the time just to succinctly talk about the problem and the solution and what benefit it creates. So I've, like I said, I've been in AI for almost 20 years and my previous company used AI to optimize supply chain processes, which uh, for those that aren't familiar with the term, it's production processes, logistics processes, it's scheduling of factories and trains and trucks and machines and when things get produced, the supply aspects of a, of a business. And if you work in that area of a business, you, you've come across systems like MRP, Manufacturing Resource Planning, mm-hmm. which can be simplified as one button that you push and MRP runs and it looks at what you're going to produce, when, what components you need. It raises orders for those components and so on. And almost you can have your whole business on the supply side run on this MRP concept. And so so when Complexica was begun, we realized there was no equivalent of that in sales. There's no button that a manager can push or a CEO or the head of sales in a big company and this, the machine runs and it tells 500 or 1,000 salespeople and call center operators who they should be talking to about what. There was just no equivalent of that in sales. So from a, let's call it a management or executive point of view, we wanted to solve that problem. Push a button, it analyzes all the information that's available in your company and outside of it and tells each individual salesperson who they should be talking to, what they should be talking to them about, what they should be offering and at what individual price. That is a a hugely analytical and quite complex problem to solve. And from the second part of that problem and from the user's perspective, imagine that you're a salesperson. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been in sales at any I supported sales as an analyst for a large part of my career. So I'm very familiar with this stuff. Perfect. So in your role being an analyst that supports sales, would you be trying to help salespeople succeed by doing analysis on the market or the customer and so on? Was that kind of the nature of Absolutely. So we would do some analysis around, you know, whether the growth is coming from market growth or from organic growth or whether it's coming up from growth against competitors. So yes. Yeah. So perfect. So that is what we're trying to give every salesperson digitally. Imagine every salesperson having their own personal analyst that's helping them succeed. It'd be incredible. I mean, think about you being a salesperson Mm -hmm. and think about it, just forget technology for a second. Imagine if a company gave each salesperson a physical analyst, a human being like yourself Mm -hmm. that was paired up with an individual salesperson and was helping that person succeed. This is who you should talk to, talk to them about this. I've analyzed them, I've researched them in the market. When you go and make this presentation, this is the angle and so on. It'd be incredible, wouldn't it? Mm. Right? I mean, everyone would want something like that. So that was the second part of the problem definition from an end user perspective. We want to give every salesperson their own analyst that is helping them succeed by analyzing customers, prospects, internal data, external data, and it's trying to give the salesperson the information to get the best outcome. So that they can solve the problem for their prospect most effectively it even starts with who the prospects should be. So if you right. go into transactional industries like uh, selling liquor or food or vet supplies or food disposables, paint, building materials, you know, all, all of that kind of stuff, which mm-hmm. you know, let's call it widget. Mm-hmm. Take liquor, for example. There's almost 60,000 
liquor licensed premises in Australia. And Australia is what, 2% of the world GDP. Right. So you've got the small country and just in Australia, you've got 60,000 premises. So now imagine that you're a liquor salesperson. There might be a hundred of you in the company you work for mm-hmm. and they've carved up Australia and they've given you a patch of Australia that might have a thousand venues in it, 1500 venues, whatever that number is. So just the first question is, who should you actually be visiting? Mm. Where are the opportunities? That requires analysis. You yes. need to go and uh, look at them on TripAdvisor. How big is the venue? What is their operating hours? What type? Is it a, a premium venue? Lower end? Is it one we're already doing business with, but not a lot? Except? So that requires analysis on who you should be talking to. Once mm-hmm. you've identified who you should be talking to, it's a second area of analysis. What are you going to say when you walk in the door? Wouldn't it be great if an analyst said, hey, when you walk into this venue, tell them that uh, in this particular suburb, red wine sales are up 12% in the last six weeks. They're driven by these three products in the Shiraz category, and this venue is not carrying those three products, and they're missing out on sales. So Mm -hmm. if you were armed with that kind of insight, and it was given to you automatically, here's the venue, here's the insight, this is what you should talk about, and when you talk about these products, here's even the price that you should offer at, all of the analysis is being done for you. So that that was from a user's perspective, the problem that we were attacking at Complexica and that we've built applications around. Keep in mind that that is simple machine learning um, technology. It's in, it's grabbing data from the internet, unstructured data, interpreting it, turning it into some kind of format, overlaying it with other data, analyzing it, coming up with insights, learning over time, which is a far cry from a conscious machine or you know the, the things that we've been talking about at the beginning of this call. There's just so little real intelligence in these technologies. They, they're, mm. they're very good at recognizing patterns or making a recommendation or interpreting data. But I, I think in Scientific America, a couple of months ago, they said that there is no technology in the world today or even on the horizon that could take a sixth uh, year six science test and pass it, for example. Wow. Right? And building a robot that could take something at IKEA and interpret the instructions by itself, read the instructions, get the tools and put it together. It's like science fiction even today, right? Mm. And, 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 and those tasks are really, really simple if you think about it. Right. Mm. So, and this is Scientific America. This is not, you know, some some hippie or some crazy person talking on the street. This is a global leading publication around science. They've been around for 150 years. They had a great 10-page article on the, on the real state of AI, and they went through examples on what, what AI can do today versus the hype. It was absolutely fantastic. And you read about some of the things that it can't do, and you think, Jesus, well, those are pretty basic. Let's try and bring this down to how our listeners can take advantage of AI, if at all possible, or at least prepare themselves for it. Where is it currently being commercialized and how can the average person take advantage of it? Good question. So from my point of view, AI is already successfully commercialized in a number of areas, but it's for very discrete problems. Like for a long, long time, there have been AI technologies used in credit card transactions, for example, when you swipe a visa, is the, is the transaction fraudulent, not fraudulent, et cetera? Mm-hmm. How those, uh, um, what kind of techniques have been used by those software companies to build those rule sets and those things that trigger 
fraud alerts, etc. They've been used in focusing of camera lenses, uh, various fuzzy logic techniques around interpreting images and focusing on it. They've been used in car transmissions. So AI is actually all around us, but in very, like robotics and factories, but in very discreet and focused kind of implementation. What I think we'll see over the next, say, five to 10 years is more noticeable examples of AI. These are hidden, like a, a more noticeable example will be the driverless car. Sooner or later, yes. some government around the world will be the first to adopt it, even if it's imperfect and has problems with it, etc. It will get adoption someplace. That's based on an enormous amount of various underlying technologies that are used to interpret data, sensor data, road traffic data, weather data, etc., um, and try to make decisions around driving a car. So I think we're going to begin to see these more noticeable examples, like Siri is a more noticeable example. It's still basic. There's more advanced versions coming. There's Alexa from Amazon. There's, uh, there's Google Home. So we're going to see it start entering our life as these applications, so to speak, that we might not think of them as being AI-powered or even really give much thought to the technology behind it. And that's then, so for a small business owner, you know, digital assistants, for example, kind of like Siri, but on your desktop that you can mm-hmm. talk to that will book things, et cetera. That's where I think the most noticeable, for a small business owner, the most noticeable examples will start to emerge in the relative near future. Yeah. So like, for instance, right now, if I want to book in an appointment, I actually just say to my phone, hey, Siri, book in an appointment with Matthew at 6 p.m. on Friday, and it will go in and do that. So that is an example of AI and how we can use it right now. Yeah. So, and again, if you think about how that works, so you acoustically speak words. Those words are translated into digital code by a machine. They're parsed. The context is analyzed or attempted to uh, to analyze. So, the first, there's really two steps that happen. They're translating an acoustic signal into digital code. That's the first step. Understanding what that digital code means. Is it a question? Are you giving a command? In that example, you've given a command, schedule mm-hmm. a, a meeting. Assuming that step one and two have been done correctly, by the machine, correct uh, interpretation into digital code, and then correct interpretation of the digital code, then the command takes place. The the machine will look at your calendar. Is that time slot available? Mm -hmm. Yes. It will schedule the appointment, and then it will take the output of that action as digital code and translate it back into an acoustic signal that it will speak to you. Wow. That's what's happening when in that example that you've just given. And people are fascinated by that. But as you can see, it's, it's quite simple. Mm. When I say simple, I'm talking mm. about the logic behind yeah, it. Yeah, mechanically, yes. Mechanically, it's simple. From a technological point of view, it's actually quite difficult because mm. humans have a great way of you know saying the same thing in different ways, using different contexts, being sarcastic. Mm. speaking with different dialects. So there's a significant technical challenges. But I think you're saying it's a fairly linear sequential set of instructions that have to be followed. Correct, correct. And then where I think the next step of that will evolve to is the machine will be looking at your calendar, will get to know you, get to know you, I mean, it will read your emails, read your calendar, Mm. um, look at what you're searching for online, what kind of documents you're reading. So the machine will begin to form a view. This is not here today. This is where I think is going to go next. Mm. We'll begin to form a view of who you are, what your interests are, et cetera. And it will become, start becoming proactive in Mm -hmm. terms of suggestions, recommendations, and so forth. So the 
the machine will say you should go and schedule the meeting with Matt. Here's a time slot that's available and so forth. Right. So that all of a sudden is now a much more complex problem than the first one. The first yes. one is relatively simple compared to that second one because the algorithmic scope that needs to be mm. applied is much, much greater. You need to create this personalized profile yes. of, of the user and so on. So that, those are those kind of incremental steps that I see yes. kind of taking place. And, that, and that's where small business owners, I think, are going to experience it for the first time. In the way that you describe Complexica helps organizations, I think you made a really great point, which is forget about just trying to analyze your existing customers and see where the holes are. Take it even one step further back, which is actually quite simple in a sales sense, but get clear on your target market. I think that's a very powerful benefit that AI and just generally researching your market offers. Can you point us to software, if you're aware of it, which will allow us to analyze who to target in the first place? Are we talking, say, something like LinkedIn? Does that even give us some amount of information about who our target market is because we can do a certain amount of filtering and so on? No, I mean, it, it's certainly a data source. So the, you know, the technology that we've developed, and we gave it a human name, we've called it Larry the Digital Analyst, the way it would work to kind of solve that problem, and, and we've developed this technology, and, and it's, it's not science fiction, it's something that works. But again, it's, it's relatively simple mechanically. So back to your original point, LinkedIn, or these, those would be a, a data source yes. that Larry, or you know, if, if a competitor emerges and builds a competing product towers, also use in addition to other data data sets to get a, a better view of what the market looks like and who we should be targeting. And I think what's different today is that the amount of data is exploding exponentially. You look at, for example, someone like Facebook or Google, but let's take Facebook. Mm -hmm. How many uh, people have an account with Facebook? I don't know what the exact number is, but let's say about billion or two billion, I believe. So two billion, right? Yeah. And then you take each one of those two billion accounts. Yeah. Every time they see a page or click on something in Facebook, data is being created. Had, how long were they on that page? Mm. What did they look at? What did they click through, etc.? So I know not everyone uses Facebook every day, but just hypothetically, if mm. all 2 billion accounts were active during a day, mm. in one particular day, you'd create an enormous amount of it's data. It's insane, yeah. It's insane, absolutely. And I think more and more that is being created. Uh, machines are being uh, are connected, you know, the Internet of Things machine are, are being, machines are being put online and, and creating data feeds. There's more and more exponential data online and that's being collected in terms of what people are viewing and, and where they're going and, and so on. So I think just overall, from a, from a planetary point of view, data is exploding. I think we've mm. created more data in the last, you know, five years mm. since the beginning of humanity. Matthew, you know, I really have enjoyed how beautifully you have broken things down. You've demystified a lot of the concepts. You've made things really simple, but very relevant. I really appreciate that. Thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure and I'm passionate about these subjects. So it's always a joy to kind of engage in conversations and, and uh, delve into the details. Now, could you tell us a little bit about some books that you recommend our listeners check out if they want to learn more about this topic? Books that I've really enjoyed have been Automate This, which mm -hmm. is uh, a chapter-by-chapter -chapter different, uh, and it's a business book, implementations of uh, algorithms or, or AI. And I think it begins with the first trading algorithm that was created on Wall Street. That's the opening chapter. It's a really, really interesting book. Again, it demystifies a lot of things. I like a recent book that's come out, Sense Making, which is almost an argument against algorithms 
algorithms and against big data. And it uh, talks about how much we're losing uh, in our analysis these days because we just consider hard, dry data rather than the human elements, etc. I think that's a great read as well. And and a broader one that isn't specific to AI or technology, but I've loved is uh, where good ideas come from. Um, okay. Steve Johnson. Okay. And if the listeners would like to check out some related content to what we've been talking about, episode 28 in this podcast, I talk about pool selling. We've been talking a little bit about selling. Episode 72, I talked to Bob Berg about how to be a go-giver, and that's about developing a no like and trust relationship. And episode 67, we talk about how to use public speaking to generate leads. Now, how do listeners find out more about you, Matthew? And is there anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, there's two websites. So one is the company that I run, complexica.com. So it's like the word complex and then ICA at the end.com, mm-hmm. um, which is the applications we've discussed, Larry, the digital analyst and uh, optimizing sales. Okay. And then on a personal front, I've got uh, a website about myself and the things that I do, which is mikewitch.com. It's my last name, .com.au. Okay. Well, I'll link to both of those websites in the show notes and also the books that you mentioned. It was great having you on the show, Matthew. Thank you very much for being such a gracious guest. My pleasure, Ash. It's been a great conversation. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comment section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today? 